0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Blog Talk Radio. How many bullets you got in you? Sixteen, I think. Might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime. Might be good to have a doctor look at you sometime. I ain't got no bullets in me. Cause I was covered you may have heard there was a prison break it was Bonnie and Clyde governor this has to end they've committed dozens of armed robberies and several cold-blooded murders
2: what do you plan to do about Bonnie and Clyde we will capture them write
1: that down and underline it twice there's only one man who can take them down I'll come back Hey, you got room for
2: one more? Not even packed. Ah, Judas Priest, get in.
1: This is 1934. Gangsters. Submachine guns. And you put cowboys on bunny and Clyde?
3: Texas Rangers. I like how he says that. Texas Rangers, as if that's the answer. And in this case, it was the answer. Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of Cinema Royale. I am Travis Hobson of the Punch Drunk Critics. And that clip you just heard was from The Highwaymen. This is the Netflix film that is out today. Uh, It's been out in theaters last week, but it's out on Netflix today, uh, March 29th. Uh, And it's a different take on the Bonnie and Clyde story. This is not about the criminal duo themselves, although they are obviously part of it. It's about the Texas Rangers who tracked them down and killed them. Uh, Kevin Costner stars as Frank Hamer and Woody Harrelson plays his partner, Manny Galt. Uh, these are real life uh, Texas Rangers, uh, arguably the two most famous Texas Rangers ever. Uh, and the story is about them and how they're, they're, they're these old school lawmen who are tracking down this, these criminals, these this criminal couple who are not just having a murder spree across the country, but they are becoming famous for it. And they're becoming celebrities for it. As people see them as, uh, as a sort of Robin hood duo, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, the reality was something quite different. And the movie is, is, is an answer to the 1967 Arthur Penn film, uh, which did not, uh, depict, uh, the rangers who captured them in a very good light at all. Uh, This movie is sort of an answer to that. So I had a chance to sit down and talk with John Lee Hancock, the director. Uh, You know him from movies like The Blind Side and The Founder, and writer John Fusco, who was uh, trying to get this movie made for a very long time. I did something I normally don't do with this interview, which is I kept – Some of our banter in the beginning of the interview uh, because Fusco wrote one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, a film called Crossroads. And no, not the Britney Spears Crossroads. This is a very different one that starred Ralph Macchio and Jamie Gertz and John Seneca. Uh, It's a blues movie uh, about a jazz musician, uh, Willie Brown, um, who made a pact with the devil. It's a really great film, and I I had a chance when I when I when I was when Saul was going to be talking to John Fusco, I had to bring it up to him, so I kept that part in here. Um, But anyway, here is my interview with John Lee Hancock and John Fusco to talk about The Highwaymen. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, I gotta say something to you because you wrote one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, uh, Crossroads. Oh man! Oh man, my uncle showed me that movie like every (laughs) weekend. He absolutely loved it. Where did you grow up? I grew up here. Yeah, uh, yeah. You uh, I was in Virginia, and oh yeah, he just loved that movie. He was a
1: blues guy, kind
3: of. Yeah, I think he just, I think he just liked the performance by uh, the guy who played Willie Brown, Joe Seneca. Thank you, Joe Seneca. Yeah, Joe Seneca. Seneca absolutely yeah. loved it. And, yeah, and yeah. Music. Oh, man, I saw that movie so many times. Thank you. <laughs> you.
1: Thank you.
3: I appreciate All right, let's talk about the Highwaymen, though. Um, this is another movie i uh, that uh, you know, this one took a long time to get going. Was there ever a uh, a time where you didn't think it was going to happen? Like, oh yeah,
1: yeah, you know, many times. But I had the good fortune that John Lee. Mm-hmm. He came on, you know, very early on the project. He was he was the first director. You know, our you know me and the producer, our choice, the original Newman and Redford, their choice. Mm-hmm. So John was on it, and and he and Casey. The producer stayed on it. And there were times I went off and did other movies. Mm-hmm. And it was heartbreaking for me because I feel it was the, the best response to a script I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, this. Is, I really want to see this movie made, but I just don't think it's going to happen.
3: Yeah. Uh, John, what was it that uh, drew you to wanting to make this project?
2: I... Uh, w- th- on the surface obviously John's script and they yep. read it and loved it and said yes I, I really wanted to direct this movie and unlike John I always felt like it would get made mm. um, but I just thought you know at its, when it's perfect time it's going to happen because yeah. every time I'd go off to do a movie and come back I'd, I'd read it again and go I think it's still just as good I still want to do it yeah. so I always kept faith I mean or maybe it's just you get rhino skin in Hollywood where you go <laughs> I'm not <laughs> going to take anything personally I'm not going to have the highs and the lows I'm going to try to stir it right in the middle but um I was drawn to um I mean Arthur Penn's film is one of my favorite films from nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. And uh, so I, and I growing up in Texas, I knew about Bonnie and Clyde a lot. I knew a decent amount about Frank Hamer, um, and there were certain parts of the story that I didn't know which were that were fascinating to me. One, the kind of cult the celebrity that was surrounded Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. which was fascinating to me. It was mm-hmm. like Kind of the Kardashians before the Kardashians, yeah. um, And setting styles for fashion and everything else, so that was fascinating to me. But more importantly, thematically, I thought it really wasn't about Bonnie and Clyde at all. It was about these two men that were kind of an old married couple because they had been spent so much time on horseback, um, and they had killed many men between them. They, you know, Frank had seventeen bullets in him. They were born a hundred years too late. Mm-hmm. They were they were they were better suited to be on horseback you know, out in the desert somewhere than in a 1934 Ford V.A. And I'm taken by the 100 years too late part of it, but also taken by uh, what happens when you have a terrible gift mm-hmm. and you're really good at something, you know, kind of like Will Money and Unforgiven or something. You have a mm-hmm. terrible gift. You're really good at killing people. Mm-hmm. These guys are really good at hunting and killing people and toll it takes on your soul. And that's this journey is about for me.
3: That's one of the things I, I really uh liked about the film I, I think I have an idea of what your your goals were was to kind of you know show this other side and um maybe give frank Hamer and a, a, Manny uh gold yeah I, I never yeah, yeah many gold um the credit they didn't get in in penn's film I think they're kind of perceived as jokes I and mean, kind of well uh, you or, know or or worse <laughs> yeah. yeah or worse yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh one of the things I really appreciated about 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 the highwomen is that it shows, um, it shows that they were real investigators. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just like yeah, you say like they're great at killing, mm-hmm. but Hamer like he has like real skills. Yeah, Is that something you really wanted to highlight uh, as well?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I I spent a lot of time with his son mm. Frank Jr. and had access to his papers, his materials, which. which John has also gone through um, all his early crime scene photos. He was a a masterful investigator. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't that he he didn't believe in in the the, uh, investigative techniques of federal and stuff like that. And, you know, he he wanted to to coordinate and work with them. But he just had real faith in his his old school Mm -hmm. um, ability. To track outlaws, and you know he, he had you know he'd say all these things like he does in the film like you know outlaws and wild horses always come home kick a right. dog in the side he's gonna run a big circle right. a a criminal is a coyote always looking over his shoulder you know and, yeah. and but he was really good at networking and working with people mm. the first thing he would do is he would he would go into an area with some or something happened talk to witnesses try to talk to people who knew people and kind of be fair with them. And kind of, you know, to you know, get try to get the story out and um Manny had a real skill for undercover. And I yeah. think we, we get that, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to work under in fact, he he was a neighbor to Frank Hamer before he became a Texas Ranger and they would play cards together, neighborhood friends and and Frank started to use him on a sort of unofficial undercover mission. So he, he had a real gift for that too. But they were bona fide investigators, and, and, and yes, I definitely wanted to get that across, that they, they weren't just at, they weren't. You
2: know. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the gift, and it's yeah. not that just that Frank was a good shot, it was like, no, I will, you know, it's, J. Edgar Hoover can chase you for two years, and I'm going to use common sense and tra- and basic tracking the same way I did on the horse, mm-hmm. and in 102 days, you're going to be dead. Right.
1: Yeah. There are patterns. You know, give me a map, I see a pattern, I see, and the, and I'm glad, it's a great question, the other thing, the thing that he's, he, he he had to get into the head of his prey, mm-hmm. and so when Manny signed on to go with him, he said, "We're going to be living like this guy Barrow. Mm-hmm. We're going to, to we're going into these campsites and we're finding their sardine tins. Yeah. We're finding their cigarettes. We're find, we're going to eat sardines, crackers. We're going to sleep in these camps. We're going to where would he go next?"
3: You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of the other things I really liked about the movie was the casting. Of course, Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson. The interesting thing to me was was Harrelson because twenty years ago he was playing, he was starring in Natural Born Killers, <laughs> who were like a sexed up Bonnie and Clyde. And yeah. Now he's on the other end, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, playing the the aging old man trying to bring them, bring them down. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the casting process. What uh, I know you had, you know, the, you know, Newman and Refford originally, but talk about the. Were, they, were Costner and, and uh, Harrelson kind of in your mind after that? And, and uh, well, did you, how would you come read around it? Out? When Paul was,
2: was obvious that he was not going to be health wise able to do it, mm-hmm. um, sent it to Kevin at some point. Kevin read it, really liked it, and felt like he wasn't old enough yet. Mm. A few years later, Woody read it, said, I'll do this whenever, just let me know when we're starting. And mm. I said I would. And then six years later, he started. Um, but I always... I mean, my first experience with Kevin was him playing an escape convict in A Perfect World. It was mm-hmm. my first movie that got made. Mm-hmm. Um, Butch Haynes. And so I had had a relationship with Kevin and was, you know, always looking for something to do with him. And, you know, he can... Like all really good actors, he can do a lot. But this is... Man, this is in his wheelhouse. So yeah. I knew that he would be great. And I knew that Woody would be great because Woody can break your heart. And he, mm-hmm. you know... And, and, this, and that's what we needed from him. He's the conscience if these two guys together make one person, then Woody's the conscience of this.
1: <laughs> and they were closer to the actual ages yeah. of Hamer and Galt. And, and it worked the, out yeah. perfectly. Mm-hmm.
3: Where was the story of uh, Hamer and Golf something that you kind of grew up with as well?
1: Um, no, no. Um, I mean, at a certain point, I did. But mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, like, like John, I, I was... I loved the Arthur Penn movie, mm-hmm. and that just fired up my interest in Bonnie and Clyde, because I was always interested in the outlaws, the gangsters. Mm-hmm. And when I did that research, um, I learned about, about Frank Hamer. Mm. And so then and, and beyond Bonnie and Clyde, his entire story was just one of the most incredible uh, stories of an American character you can ever find. And yet he was so humble and quiet and, um, that no one knew the story. So I guess in a way, yes, I kind of I grew up with this quiet frustration yeah. of knowing about Hamer when not too many people I ever I never did. heard it. I, I, don't, I probably never really met anyone else who, who did. John knew him. He was from Texas. so. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just, throughout the years, I was waiting for someone to do Hamer's story, and it didn't happen. And things lined up where um, the producer asked me at one point, we were out in the desert shooting uh, Hidalgo, and he said, so what's next for you? What what, what do you want to do more than anything else? What are you most passionate about? And I thought about it for a while. I said, you know what It's never left me, never gone away, is the story of Frank <laughs> Hamer. And he said, who's that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had not, not heard the story before either. All I knew was the Bonnie and Clyde store. story, uh, which is interesting because, you know, the movie – doesn't really allow you to really see them that much in the movie, which I, you know, I I'm guessing was uh, a, a visual directional uh, uh, idea on your part, but was it also in the script? It uh, was,
1: it yeah. was. But I think John and the DP John Schwartzman, mm-hmm. um, they really they took it to to the next level. I mm-hmm. wanted to
2: turn it into a graphic novel. I wanted to shoot Frank and Manny in a naturalistic way, mm-hmm. and to shoot Bonnie and Clyde in a way that. Where the sh- the clothes are too pretty and shiny, yeah. The 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 shoes are shined. The 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 cars are flashy. They're sexy. They're romantic. They're on the run. I wanted to build into the idea of what people in nineteen thirty four felt, as well as perhaps some people who had seen Penn's film, who are watching this film, to kind of buy into that, so that when you see them and they enter the naturalistic phase of the movie
3: along with Frank and Maney,
2: they're scrawny kids,
3: right? You know. I mean, speaking for me, it, it 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 has an impact when you finally see the the final scene mm-hmm. with them, you know, the the actual shootout. Mm-hmm. You know, it has an impact because you you like I said, you you barely had a chance to really take them in, and then when you get your best look at them, it's it's basically under a halo gunfire. Right.
2: Yeah. You get, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the idea. That the only time you're gonna get them because what the the hope was, you're building up a mythos around them as right. you're watching the movie. Yeah. They're fast, they're sexy, they yeah. that's best clothes, they're, yeah. ah, I love them. And you see them and you go, they're scrawny kids. Yeah. That's what they were, and that's the truth of it. Yeah.
3: Uh, before I go, uh, that's the scene uh, after the shootout with the, the, the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that something that actually happened? Was that okay. something that really happened like that? We toned it down. Really? Because it's, it's insane in it's the movie. Worse. <laughs> yeah. It's worse. Right. I was right there with, uh, with Hamer and Galt when they're kind of like, just kind of blown away by watching this whole it spectacle. Was, it the, the
2: whole idea behind it was you know, one it's true and people tried to cut off Clyde's trigger fin, finger and his ear. Wow! Um, people stole pieces of the car. They went mad. Thousands of people showed up by the time they had towed the car in because you know two or three hours had passed since the ambush. Yeah. Because you have to bring the tow truck in. You have to take it to the nearby town. Word spread like wildfire. Stores
1: were raising the prices of cigarettes. <laughs> they ran. You know, it became. Yeah. It became it's, the population swelled from 4,000, I think, to like 12,000. Yeah. People are just coming in from all over. You know. And they went
2: mad. And it's it's called the shame of Arcadia. And old oh. Arcadians don't want to talk about it. And so the the idea was it's brutal and as violent and as horrible as the ambush I wanted it to be. And there's no joy in it. It's not like, yeah, we got him. It. It's yeah. like, why does this have to happen? Yeah. This is bad for everybody. We're all going to walk away from this. Feeling dirty. This is you feel bad for Bunny and Clyde in a weird way. I do. You feel bad for everybody. Why did this have to happen? But then it gets even worse because it's the worst of humanity
3: in yeah, Arcadia. I, I think that 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 scene right there is almost enough to make a movie in and it of itself. All right, that's my interview with John Lee Hancock and John Fusco talking about the Highwaymen. Uh, if you get a chance to see it, it is on Netflix uh, right now, so you can go and stream it. Uh, from the comfort of your own home. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I am Travis Hobson of the Punch Drunk Critics. You can uh, listen to me here on Cinema Royale uh, most weekends. And, of course, you can find me every single day at punchdrunkcritics.com. Thanks again for listening. Goodbye.